Several years ago as a church, we sent out a card to about 40,000 people in the community. And uh, we put up big signs around the community that said this, Lose your religion and find a relationship. Now on the back of the card was a quote, one from Jesus that said, If all you have is religion, you will never see the kingdom of God. And the other was from Paul, where he said, religion is dung. Now, there are certain religious people in the community that didn't like that very much. And um, in fact, somebody asked me how I could be so anti-religious being a pastor. I said, it's not that I'm anti-religious. It's that I have a problem with religion when it keeps people from experiencing a relationship with God. Too often we equate religion with a relationship with God, and they're not the same thing. And too often religion gets in the way of a real relationship with God. Today I want to challenge you to lose your religion and find or renew your personal relationship with God. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Philippians chapter 3 and that study guide out of your bulletin. We're going to look at a man that went through that very process. And a religious man who found religion was getting in his way and keeping him from really having a vibrant relationship with God. His name is the Apostle Paul. And in Philippians chapter 3, the first ten verses, he addresses two types of people. And I think we'll find that those two types of people are in this room today. The first type of person is the person that all they had is religion. And they would not yet experienced a born-again, living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion was keeping them from Christ. If that's you today, I encourage you with all of my heart to lose your religion and find a relationship with Jesus. The second type of people are people like most of us in this room who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but religion has kind of gotten in the way. And what we really need is to renew that relationship. Now, as I was studying this passage, I just jotted down some questions that came to my mind in reference to applying it to my life and to our lives. If you look at that little list there, if any of these relate to you, put a check by them. The first one says, do you need to be born again? Do you need to lose your religion and discover a relationship with Jesus? Do you think you'll get to heaven because you're a pretty good person? Do you think you will inherit eternal life because you go to church? And then these questions. Do you have a tendency to wander back under religion? Do you need to lose your religion and discover or rediscover a relationship with Jesus? Is your Christianity little more than an unwritten list of do's and don'ts? Do you get all caught up in doing and forget about becoming? Do you let good activities crowd out spending time with Jesus Himself? Do you find yourself working a lot but worshiping? privately very little? 
Do you spend much time comparing yourself with how other people are doing and not enough time building your own relationship with God? Are you overly critical of others? And then some of these questions have to do with people who have a tendency to get caught back under religion. Do you have low self-esteem? Were you raised in a shame-based home? Have you experienced the ravages of abuse? Do you have an obsessive, addictive personality? Did you grow up under graceless, legalistic teaching? And then the last question is one that all of us have to ask ourselves today. Are you experiencing Jesus at an ever-deepening level of love? No matter where you find yourself this morning, I want to tell you, you can lose your religion and find a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, for me, it works like this. Look at me for a second. This is, this is how it kind of ends up working. Yeah, I have a relationship with God. I've been born again. That's all settled. And I go to church, read my Bible, pray, serve, give. There are certain activities I don't do because I'm a Christian. But when I'm wandering back under religion, I do these things because I feel like I should. I ought to. But when I'm living out a vibrant relationship with God, I do these things. It's an overflow of who I am and what I'm becoming and what God is doing in me. You see, the bottom line is this. When I'm talking about religion today, I'm talking about what you do to merit favor with God. When I'm talking about relationship, I'm talking about what God has done for you and is doing in you and wants to do through you because you have a relationship with God. Do you see the difference? Religion is based on what I do. A relationship, real Christianity is based on what Jesus has already done and is doing. Now, as we understand that, the Apostle Paul sets up for us three commands that we need to follow today so that we don't lose our relationship in the midst of religion. We've been studying the book of Philippians, and you know that it's all about joy. And the point today is, if you allow religion to get in the way, you will lose your joy. Three commands. Number one, refuse to trade your relationship with Jesus for religion. Refuse to trade your relationship with Jesus for religion. I'm going to read verse 2 and 3. Look at them with me. Watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it's we who are the true circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Underline, watch out, that's the command. Underline the word circumcision and underline no confidence in the flesh. Because those phrases, those words describe the issues going on here. First of all, he says, watch out for the dogs. Now, when he's talking about watching out for dogs, he's not talking about a little furry family friend. In 60 AD, when you thought of dogs, you thought of a pack of hungry, vicious, snarling animals that wanted to assault you and take your food. What he's saying is that there are people who want you... They think you have an interest in God. They're going to come along and add a bunch of religious things to you that will assault your true relationship with God and rob you of your joy. 
He says, watch out for those people. Now, what was happening in Philippi at that time, these people were coming back in and they were trying to make non-Jewish people Jewish. And they said, you need to follow all these Jewish rules of the Old Testament and some. And the big one was circumcision. Now, circumcision is when they uh, cut off the foreskin of a male marking him as a person under the law, the covenant of law, the covenant of God. Now, in fact, some scholars tell us that the people teaching in Philippi at that day that were religion people taught men that they should not only get circumcised, but they should be castrated. Say it with me. Ouch! <laughs> no way! It was all external and not internal. Now, Paul says, wait a minute, we're the true circumcision. It's not an external thing. It's, it's something that happens in your heart, where God marks your heart as somebody who has a relationship with Him. That's what you need. And he says, who put no confidence in the flesh. You see, as I said before, religion is about what I do to please God. Relationship is about what God has already done for me. Now, what happened in the course of history, as you move from the Old Testament, when God dealt primarily with the Jewish people under a system of law, and you move into the time of Christ, and then the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, a new covenant is given, a new plan, a new testament. And that is a testament of grace, a covenant of grace. Law is me doing things, keeping rules to merit a relationship with God. Grace is me receiving the gift of a relationship with God. Now, us in this age, we can relate to God through a covenant of grace, not based on what we do for God, but what God has done for us and is doing in us and will do through us. What happens is, Paul is saying, religion is given way to relationship. The outward activities have been bettered by inner realities. The efforts of the flesh have been circumceded by the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead of worship based on what I do, now it's the Holy Spirit working in me and worshiping through me. I've gone from a life of fear and shame and guilt, and that's been swept away under a tidal wave of love and life and joy and peace and purpose and power. Something, religion, has given way to someone... Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. I hope you understood what I just said. Because it will set you free. What Paul is saying, it's not about what you do, but it's about who you know. Say that with me. It's not about what you do. No, no okay. I, I, repeat after me. We'll... It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. That's the issue. These people were getting messed up because they were living life based on what they did and not on who they knew. That's the first command. Refuse to go back under that and trade your relationship for a religion. Second, realize that religion does not compare to a relationship with Jesus. It does not compare. Now, Paul's going to tell his story right here in brief fashion. Look at verse 4. 
Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, confidence in the flesh, confidence in what I could do, confidence in religion. If anybody else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I've got even more reasons. Listen to my pedigree. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He said, buddy, I kept all the rules. Paul says that he had the right ritual, circumcision. He had the right parents. His father was a distinguished member of the distinguished tribe of Benjamin. And he had the right actions. He kept all the rules. One scholar said that when it comes to Judaism, Paul scored a hundred. He said, buddy, I had it. If you want to get there based on being religious, look at me because I was as religious as you can get. I did it all. But, look at verse 7. Circle that word. But. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. When I add it all up, it adds up to negative compared to knowing Jesus Christ. It's not about what I do, it's about who I know. And now that I know Jesus, I find out He's so much better. But something happened to Paul. Remember? Book of Acts. He's, he's on the road to go persecute the church, persecute the people that were now under grace and weren't keeping the rules the way they should be kept. And he met Jesus Christ in a blinding light who knocked him off his horse, knocked him blind for a few days, and Paul traded his religion for a relationship. He was changed forever. Some of you today walked in one way and you're going to walk out a new way because you will trade your religion for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything, not just all the religious stuff. Now I've learned to realize that everything, career, prestige, money, possessions, uh, esteem, power, everything. I now consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I'm willing to lose everything, he says, and I have lost all things. He's in prison when he writes this. And I consider them rubbish that I can get more of Christ. He says, when you add up everything in life, all the religious stuff that you do and everything else you have, it all adds up to negative compared to how big and how good a relationship with Jesus really is. Let me ask you a question. Do you live that way? Do you live in such a way that says, Jesus is better than, than all this other stuff. My relationship with Jesus is what fuels all this other stuff, what prioritizes all this other stuff. Jesus, I found Him to be better than anything else. See, it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. He says, I add up all that stuff and it's rubbish 
Now, I read the word rubbish in the NIV, and I think, you know, paper wads neatly wadded up and placed nicely in a clean little trash can. That's not what the original language says. The word rubbish could be better translated refuge or sewer or dung. Hence, religion is dung. You say, religion's bad compared to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only as good as dung. Have you found that to be true? Then why are you wandering back under religion? You see, that's what he's saying. Why do you keep wandering back into what you do as opposed to who you know? It's dumb. You've got to give two reasons why religion is dumb. Number one, religion has an inadequate source of righteousness. An inadequate source of righteousness. Look at verse 9. I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. Circle that. A righteousness of my own. That's the religion thing. The righteousness that I earn on my own. That comes from keeping the law. But I want to be found in Him having a righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ. And circle this. Righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. It's a gift from God. It's the product of faith. It's not from keeping the law, keeping the rules. It's from who I know. You see... When you talk about salvation, you talk about how that affects the whole of your life, righteousness is a vital issue. You see, the key question when you talk to someone about going to heaven and they say, well, I think I'll go to heaven, I'm a pretty good person. The key question is, are you good enough? Are you good enough? I was being witnessed to by a Muslim a few years ago. Now, that's an interesting experience. And he said, let's just suppose you're 50% good and you work really hard at keeping the rules and that makes you 51% good. And then you work really hard at keeping the rules and that makes you 52% good. I said, time out. One, how do I know I'm 50% good? And how do I know that by keeping the rules it's going to make me 1% higher? How do I know when I get there? You see, the bottom line is, there's none good, no, not one. Um, we got a little chart on your sheet, and you've seen this before if you've been around here for a while, and you say, oh, this is all, I'm saved already, I don't need this. Listen to me very carefully. If you truly understand this, it not only affects you the moment that you get saved, it affects you through all eternity, and it affects how you live your Christian life. Let's look at it. There's four columns. It's as though God has an accounting book in heaven and the first column would be me. And on my account would be my self-righteousness. That's the good stuff I try to do to please God. Go to church, read my Bible, don't stop beating my wife, you know. Um, what? Just keep kidding there. Um, plus the fact that I've sinned. The Bible says all have sin and come short of the glory of God. And the book of James says if you're guilty of one sin, that makes you just as far away from pure righteousness as though you had committed them all. 
You add that all up and Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. Not a good page. Not my favorite page of the book. Second page. Me. I'm sorry, Jesus. This is a good page. Jesus. Perfect righteousness. Not only did He do all the right stuff, but He never sinned. He did it all the right way. Him who knew no sin became sin for us, the Scripture says. Perfect righteousness. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal what? Life. Jesus, who lived a life of perfect righteousness, deserves life. You and I, because we've sinned, deserve death or separation from God. Jesus, because He never sinned, deserved life or union with God, which brings us to the third page, which says Jesus plus my sin equals His death. God made Him, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. How many of you are wearing a cross around your neck? Could I see your hands? You got, you're wearing one. Is that all? Come on, anybody else? Be proud of it. That's a good thing. Well, there's a cross in this building. Why do Christians love the cross? Listen to me very carefully. We love the cross because this is what happened there. The most amazing thing happened in all of history. God took all of our sin. God who exists outside the realm of space and time was able to take all of our sin, even those of us that hadn't been born yet, and placed it on Jesus Christ. And He experienced death, separation from God, eternal judgment, hell. He experienced the weight of all of that, taking it for us. And because He is the sinless Son of God, He could take our sin and He could die in our place. If I died for you, would that pay for your sin? No. Why? I've sinned. If you died for me, would that pay for my sin? No. Why? You've sinned. But there was one who never sinned, and that was Jesus. So when He died, He paid for all of our sin, potentially. Me plus sin equals death. Jesus plus righteousness equals life. Jesus plus my sin equals death. The fourth column is the good one. Me plus Jesus' righteousness equals eternal life. You see, God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for me so that I might have the righteousness of God in Him, so that I might have God's, I might have favor with God just as much as Jesus has favor with God. Why is religion dung? Because it's about your righteousness and your righteousness is not good enough. The second reason why religion is dung is because it's unable to satisfy a soul and change a life. The Apostle Paul said in verse 10, and this is my favorite verse in this chapter, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Underline that word power. You see, when you are living out a relationship based on who you know and not what you do, you have the power of God in your life. You have a power to say no to sin. You have a power to do the right things. You have a power to live the way you always wanted to live. You have the power to live for God. You now have the power to please God. Power you do not have when it's based on what you do. But when you know Him, you have the power of God in your life. 
Not only, not only uh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, but He says the fellowship of His sufferings. Underline that word fellowship. You now have an intimacy with God that you can never have under your own righteousness. Because under your own righteousness, your relationship with God is still always blocked by sin. But now through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and in knowing Him in a relationship, you can know God in an intimate, personal way. That's awesome! You know, in, in Islam, there's no word for Father when you're talking about God. But we can go to God and we're told to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. That's because we have the righteousness of Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus that gives us a relationship with the Father. Not only that, it says that I know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Underline this word, becoming like Him in His death. You see, you become a better person when you know the right person. You become a better person when you know the right person than you ever be just by doing the right things. You become like Jesus Christ. Let me ask you an important question. Would you look at me for just a second? If we were to look at your Christian life over the last three months, would we see the power of God there? Power to say no to sin. Power to do the right things. Power to make a difference. Let me ask you, if we were to look at your Christian life over the last three months, would we see a deepening relationship with God? If we were to look at your Christian life over the last three months, would we see that you've become more like Jesus Christ? You see, if those things are not true, you need to lose your religion, friend. And you need to rediscover your relationship. I have a friend named John. And John was great over here. He's the best Baptist I knew. Kathy and I, when I graduated from college, we worked at a church about an hour away, and so we'd spend the weekend, and we'd live in John and Jeannie's house. And John was a deacon. He went to Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night pre-service prayer meeting, Sunday night church, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Thursday night visitation, and he was the sponsor for the youth group. So he had youth activities on Friday or Saturday night. John read his Bible, prayed, tithed. John did what good Baptists in Virginia are supposed to not do. John didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he didn't chew, he didn't go with girls that do. John was great externally over here based on what you do and what you don't do. He is a religious guy. But after spending about six weekends down there, Kathy and I were riding home one Sunday night. And I said, Kathy, this has been on my mind. Do you think John is saved? And she said, I've been thinking the same thing. There's no way. See, John had no joy, no love, no life, no power. He had tremendous struggles in his inner life with sin and anger. John had no victory. He was religious but lost. So we started to pray for John. A few weeks later, an evangelist came to our church. Down south, you have evangelists. Hallelujah. And he is a good preacher. 
and he was uh, preaching the Word of God. And uh, he was preaching on being religious but lost. Amen. And he told a lot of stories of people he knew who were religious but lost. And as he was preaching, Kathy and I were praying. And when he finished his uh, sermon on being religious but lost, He gave an invitation, and a gasp went through that church, because John stood up, staggered down the aisle, tears rolling off his cheeks. The pastor met him at the front. John prayed a real simple prayer with the pastor, and he stood up a brand new man, and he said, I'm the new John now. Now, you need to understand this. After John got the real thing, John still went to Sunday school every week, still went to church, still went to pre-service prayer meeting on Sunday night, still went to Sunday night church, still went to Wednesday night service, still went to Thursday night visitation, was still the youth sponsor. He still didn't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. He read his Bible, he prayed, he tithed, but now he did it out of a relationship. Now it was full of life. What's the name of this church? Let me ask you a question. How are you living? New life? Old death? The last thing that comes out of this passage is in verse 10. And that is this. We not only should refuse to trade a relationship with Jesus for religion, we not only must realize that religion is rubbish compared to a relationship with Jesus, we must, number three, run hard after a relationship with Jesus Christ. You keep pursuing Him. You keep after it. You keep growing. You keep going. Verse 10, let me just... uh, I want you to circle the first five words. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That's Paul's passion. That's Paul's pursuit. That's what Paul ran after. That's what he lived for. He had found that Jesus Christ was better than everything else. He said, I want to know Christ. Now, that word know is very interesting in the original language. In English, we have one word for know. In Greek, you got four. One word talks about knowing of Someone. One word talks about knowing a lot of information about someone. One word talks about having an acquaintanceship with someone. And the fourth word talks about knowing them in an experiential relationship. That's the word Paul uses here. He says, I want to personally experience in relationship Jesus Christ. And the way it's used says, I don't want that to be a one-time thing. I want that to be an ongoing ever-deepening, life-changing, more vibrant, more vital relationship with Jesus Christ growing every day. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you growing in that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you knowing Him more? Loving Him deeper? 
being changed by Him? Do you have the power? Do you have the fellowship? Are you becoming like the one you're hanging around with, Jesus Christ? If not, you need to lose that religion, pal. Find a relationship. Maybe you're sitting here and say, Dave, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I serve. Yeah, but are you doing it based out of who you know? Are you, are you doing it based out of what you should do? Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, Dave, I've been coming to church. I even gave some money in the offering. But I don't think I've ever found that relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you're really religious. I mean, you're really good. But are you good enough? My challenge to you, find a relationship that changes your life. Find it in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads, if you would, please. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and they're very important. The first question is this. I know beyond a doubt, absolutely certain, that there was a time, a place, a moment when I began a true, life-changing, soul-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I was made a new person. I was born again. I have no doubt about it because I know it. I was there when it happened. You say, that's me. Raise your hand real high as a way of saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You may put him down. Now, this next question is even more important. There's some people in this room that have not yet found that relationship. You may be religious. Maybe you're not religious. But the reality is you're lost. And you say, Dave, I want to meet Jesus Christ in my heart in a real way today that that washes away my sins and makes me a new person. I want to be born again. I want to be saved today. If that's you, would you lift your hand all around this room? Can I see your hands? I want to be saved. I want to be born again. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Who else? Just lift it up long enough for me to see it. You may put them down. If you're not sure, Christians pray. Right now you can talk to God and He'll be listening. You can say to God what my friend John said to God. He said this, God, I admit that I have sinned. Tell God that. I believe Jesus rose from the dead to pay for my sin. I call upon Jesus Christ right now to be my Savior, to come into my life. I call upon Jesus to make me a new person from the inside out. I want to be born again today. Now, if you said that to God right now and you really meant it, can I just, would you put your hand back up? Or maybe you didn't raise your hand before, but if you put your hand back up, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? 
That's pretty exciting. You may put your hands down. I have one last question. It's kind of become a routine. I mean, you know you're saved, but it's kind of become a routine. It's kind of just been on the outside. It's not been vibrant on the inside. You say, this week, I want to walk out like Paul, determined to run more in my relationship with Jesus, build that relationship deeper, live out of who I know and not just what I do. God, I want to really pursue you this week. If that's you, would you lift your hands all around this room? Whole lots of us. Anybody else? Whole lot of us. God bless each one of you. Let's stand as we pray. Father, I thank you that you're a God who loves us so much that you want to have a relationship with us. That's awesome. God, I thank you for people in all three services this week walk out of this auditorium born again saved, changed, new God we thank you for that you're awesome and God so many of us take that for granted get caught in a routine let it get all surface and God we want to renew our relationship with you today we love you we thank you we surrender to you in Jesus name Amen